Amen. Join me this morning in John chapter 15, please. We started this chapter last week as we considered the I am statement by Christ. This is the last one that he uses in John where he says, I am the true vine. We highlighted similarities between Christ and the vine. The bottom line, though, was probably this. Christ went through the wine press of the wrath of God, taking our place upon Calvary to pay our sin debt, that we could accept a free gift of salvation and have every sin removed. But if we reject Him, the Bible teaches, we will be cast into the wine press of the wrath of Almighty God. And I pray that you're in Christ this morning. Let's begin reading verses 1 through 8 of John chapter 14. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples." In the opening eight verses of this chapter, Jesus speaks of abiding in Him at least five times. He speaks of His Word abiding in us at least two times. I say at least because some of it may depend on how you uh, read some of this. Remember, Jesus has said twice in John chapter 14 that He was going away. Now He's telling them to abide in Him. This is a mystery of Christianity to those who don't know Him. How is it that Christ can be gone, but yet He's not gone? How is it that He's not here, but He's here? And this is where Christianity gets real. No other religion says of their religious leaders that they are alive. And that they can live in you. That you can share their life by abiding in them. But our faith goes far beyond just an acknowledgement that there was a person named Jesus 2,000 years ago who died on a cross. We don't follow the teachings of a man who is dead and still in the grave. That's what religions do. Our belief is not a, on a historical person, but ours is a relationship with God. We know that we know Him because He abides with us and we in Him. We can have fellowship with God. So here's Jesus talking about abiding in Him. But what does this look like? What does it look like to abide in Christ? Is it something mystical? Does it all depend on how we make the outside look? Does that show we're abiding in Christ? Is it an emotional thing? Is it a set of rules? Is it a program? Is it some course of study that we go through? What does abiding in Christ, having an abiding relationship 
What does it look like? Well, according to our text, it's when we bear fruit. Just as we find the recurring theme of them abiding in these verses, we also find the theme of bearing fruit. At least five times, bearing fruit is mentioned. So what does this look like to abide in Christ? Well, it's fruitfulness. It's being fruitful. The Bible speaks of the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of our lips, and giving thanks and praise to God. Uh, It talks about the, the fruit... Of repentance. When John was baptizing, he told those who had come to him for baptismal, uh, baptism, he said, Bring forth fruits, therefore, meet for repentance. Listen, I can tell John was saying whether or not you're abiding in him because there'll be fruit. There'll be something identifiable about you that means you are in Christ. These fruits that we find in the Bible, they're only possible in Christ because they only come from Christ. This is what the Christian is supposed to be. They're supposed to be fruitful. But a branch can only get life from the vine or from the life of Christ, as it were. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. True Christianity is a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have the term Christian without Christ. They're inseparable. We saw last week in verse 1, Christ is the true vine. We read this morning that His Father is the husbandman. That is the vine dresser, the keeper, the gardener, if you will. Uh, he, the husbandman, is God. He's the one who cares for the vine. He's the one that planted the choice vine. And He's the keeper of it all. As the one who oversees the vine, God is the one who takes care of the branches. He's the one who takes away. He's the one that grafts in. God is the one who purges branches that they might bring forth more fruit. As the husbandman, as the keeper of the vineyard, God watches over those of us in Christ. He protects us. God is the one who chose for Christ to be the source of all blessing in this life. And now we need to really slow down in verses 2 and 3. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. I don't want to lose any of you in trying to explain some of this. Nod politely. Pretend like you're getting it. And we're going to get back to preaching in just a minute. What is this saying here? Because some see what Jesus says in the beginning of verse 2. That you can lose your salvation. That if you don't bear fruit as a Christian, then you'll be taken away And you'll be cast into the fire. But if that's what we conclude this morning, then we have a contradiction in Scripture. Because if that's true, if we were to draw that conclusion from verse 2, then salvation has now become works-based. And it's no longer by grace. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 11.6, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. 
But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, works is no more works. The Bible is crystal clear. We cannot obtain salvation by our works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. You see, if this turned into a fruit-bearing contest on who was saved and who wasn't, then the one who had the most fruit would be the one we would elevate up, and we would boast about that. In Titus 3, 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And because the Bible is so clear that we cannot earn our salvation, that we cannot work our way to Christ, but that it's all by His mercy and His grace, then what does Jesus mean when He says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, He takes it away. How can a branch be in Christ and then be taken away? Unfortunately, down through the years, we have really muddied the waters of the Bible through church dogma. We have made things complicated in the way we teach them that we might fit a particular doctrine that we want to have. And as a result, we often find that verses have been misinterpreted and misapplied. And so I want to give you what I believe this is saying. I do not believe that these non-fruit-bearing branches are those who have ever been born again to begin with. Stay with me. We see in verse 4 that a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. And in verse 5, those abiding branches, the same bringeth forth much fruit. In verse 6, those who don't abide are cast into the fire. Now, you kind of have to slow down and notice some things, but would you try to notice that the branches in verse 2 are taken, which are taken away are those which were never abiding in Christ to begin with. It doesn't say they were abiding in Christ. And if you put all this together, I don't know if you can see, and, and this is what I, I see here, that a branch which is not in Christ cannot bear fruit. But listen now, get this. A branch that is abiding in Christ can't help it but to bear fruit. Amen. It's going to happen because you're tapped into the life source. Therefore, the branches which do not bear fruit, it's talking about non-Christians who profess to be in Christ, but don't know Him in reality. They don't possess Christ. Or I should say, possessed by Christ. Amen. These branches are those who talk good. These branches are those that are in the garden. They attend church. They are good at resembling branches, but upon further inspection by the husbandman, he sees through the facade and he sees that nothing is resembling the vine. They don't resemble Christ. There's no longing for him. There's nothing in their life which shows that they are alive in him. There's no seeking after Him. They're dead. There's no fruit. And if this happens to sound strange to you, then I would remind you of Romans 11, where the illustration is of an olive tree, but it's the same principle. We read there that unbelieving Israel, they were called the natural branches. But God says they were broken off in what? Unbelief. 
And then he talks about the Gentiles. We were wild branches by nature. But in belief, we can be grafted into the olive tree. Matthew 3, 8 through 10 says, Bring forth there, this is John the Baptist preaching, Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Who's he talking to? He was talking to Israel. Don't think to say you have Abraham as your father. Don't look at your lineage and somehow think, because my parents were Christian, I'm getting in the kingdom. We all have to make a decision for Christ. But you can come in here and you can look like a branch. You can talk like a branch. Amen. But is there any fruit? Clearly there's other cases in scriptures where branches are taken away. And they were never believers to begin with. There's a bunch in the Old Testament. So there's no issue making this connection in John 15.2. But let me try to show this just a little bit further. And if you're bored, get ready. You're going to be bored even more. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. The word purgeth, it means to cleanse. Now clearly it relates to pruning, but it means to cleanse. But then Jesus says in verse 3, Now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now why does Jesus throw verse 3 in there? He could have easily went from verse 2 to verse 4 and not lost any flow whatsoever. Why does verse 3 show up? Why is this in here? Well, here's why. Jesus doesn't want them or us confounded about the way of salvation and the way of sanctification. In verse 2, it's sanctification. In verse 3, it's salvation. Jesus uses this distinction to show that there is a cleansing that takes place when we're saved. And there's a cleansing which continues to take place through our sanctification. Now, I'll come back to that thought in just a minute. We'll try to end on that note. But let me bore you just a little bit. The Greek word for the word word. (laughs) The Greek word for the word word in verse 3 is logos. And it it means it's a broad term for all all kinds of truth. Uh, Logos. It encompasses all that Jesus taught them about who He is in God, what He came to do, how He came to seek and save those who are lost, and that He is the way of salvation. Now, if Jesus was trying to use verse 3 to teach that they would be clean or saved through this specific principle of abiding in the vine, He would have used the Greek word Rama. In verse 7, Jesus does use the term Rama as He speaks specifically about this truth of abiding. When he says, if ye abide in me and my words in you, he's emphasizing this specific truth. So we are clean through the word logos. In Ephesians 5, 26, we read that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word logos. The church is cleansed by all of the word of God. But then in chapter 6 of Ephesians, the armor of God is being spoken of and we're told to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Rama. Our warfare then needs to be specific. It needs to be precise. 
We need to know what it is we're after and what we're doing. We need to be able to be precise so that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, let's get back to this thought. All of that was for those who care about those things. 99% of you are like, just get on with the message. We're doing that right now. Woohoo! Let's get back to this thought about salvation and sanctification. Verse 3 speaks of salvation. When we are born again, we are cleansed from all sin. Every stain is removed. We become new creatures in Christ. But I want to focus on the end of verse 2 where we read, Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. What God does in the lives of those who are abiding in the vine is to purge them. He's the husbandman. God works at cleansing us of what is hindering our growth. You catching this? He wants to cleanse us, purge us, prune what is keeping us back. What is keeping us from bearing more fruit. Now, He wants to take dead weight. He wants to take those things that aren't helping our life in Christ and He wants to cut them away. He changes us. He transforms us. He conforms us. And He does this through many different means. Through His Word, through chastisement, through circumstances, through thorns in our flesh. Because God likes us to be in a place where we remember and know that everything is dependent upon Him. Through His Word, we are to learn what needs to go in our life. As we read God's Word, we see things, it's called a mirror. And we see things that have to be removed from our life through His Word. Through chastisement, we are motivated to let go of those things that we shouldn't have. If you had a dad like me, you were very motivated to let go of things through chastisement. Through circumstances, we are forced to let go of things that we don't need. And through thorns, we have to trust in God. And I want you to get this. This is a major separation point from the world's religions. Because here's why. In true Christianity, God is deeply concerned about you and I. He's interested in our lives. He does what He does for us because He's invested in us. In religion, it's dependent upon you and your power. It's all about you being able to work your way to God. But in Christianity, it's Christ and His power as we yield our lives to Him. He's actively involved in our lives to change us and to conform us into His image. This is the greatness of our God. He cares about you this morning. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. What a blessing. He knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. And He says, Ye are more value to Me than many sparrows. He's actively developing us. We're all a construction zone. Amen? God's still working on me. How about you? 
He's wanting to change us. He wants us to be into the image of Christ. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. God hasn't given up on you. He isn't going to give up on you. He will never give up on you. It may not always be comfortable. It may not always be pleasant when we're being pruned, when we're going through that process of purging, but it's for our good and for His glory. God loves you. Don't rebel against those things that God is doing in your life, but give yourself to it that you might be a better fruit-bearing Christian. Hebrews 12.11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Amen. But grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Don't lose hope this morning. It may look bleak in your life right now. But God, He's just cleansing you. He's purging you. He's pruning you. He wants you to bear as much fruit as possible. But it's going to take some trimming. We have to trust the husbandman that He knows what He's doing. God is bringing us to the place where we will lay aside every weight and sin which doth so easily beset us. He wants us to get to the place where uh, we can be all that we're supposed to be in Christ. We won't bear as much fruit as we should when we're wasting time on those areas that do nothing for the kingdom of God. And God says, I've got to purge some of that. I've got to take it away. I've got to trim and I've got to cut. And so if we put these two cleansings together of verse 2 and verse 3, if we look at this throughout the rest of our lives here, verse 3 is the cleansing, listen now, that determines our standing with God. When we're saved, our standing before God is secure. We're saved. We can't lose it. We're in the Father's hand. No man can pluck you out. Amen. I've said it before, you've heard it before, but if you weren't good enough to earn it, you sure ain't good enough to keep it. Hallelujah. And so our standing, our cleansing in salvation, we are, uh, we are secure in our standing with God. But God doesn't just clean us and then let us alone. God wants us to grow in Him after we're saved. My growth into Christ's likeness, in His Word, in obedience. It's through God's pruning of me. It's all a process. But my standing before God, it's good to go. My position as His child, it's a settled position. Yes, I'm being transformed and yes, I'm being conformed. But that doesn't change that I'm totally clean in Him because I've been justified. I've been given His righteousness. I've been accepted in the Beloved. When my children were born, they could not be unborn. When you're born again, you cannot be unborn. It doesn't even make sense. And when they were born, they received of me all my love. They received my name, all that I am. But get this, some of my children may decide to enjoy that position more than others. Some of them may decide, you know what, I really enjoy chastisement. 
more than the other. Are you with me? But they're all still my children. Some will walk with me and emulate me more than another. But they're all still my children. And I think verse 3 is here to make sure we know that this growth that we're talking about here in chapter 15, it is not the means of our salvation. Or else we would end up with a heresy that so many are teaching and believe today called a works-based salvation. Don't ever confuse sanctification with salvation. They are two different acts. But the reason we grow is because we love Him who saved us. The God who loves us and saved us, He will continue to develop us. They're inseparable. But they have to be understood in their proper light. So if you're saved, you're already clean positionally before God. You are clean through the Word. But you are also going to need to be cleansed that you might bear more fruit. This shouldn't be completely unusual. We saw already in this discourse in John chapter 13 that Jesus said, i got to clean your feet. You pick up things in this world. you got to be pruned. you got to be trimmed. So where are you at this morning? Are you saved? Are you in Christ? Or are you one of those branches who looks like you belong to the vine, but you really don't? God sees through you. Well, the Bible teaches you're in danger of being cast into the fire. If that's you, you need to be cleansed by His Word this morning. You need to be saved. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. If you're abiding in Christ, would you allow God to prune you? Would you just give yourself to that? Because He's going to get it one way or the other. You can either get it through the reading of God's Word and submit yourself, or He can chastise, or worse, He can put you through circumstances you didn't really want to go through. Whether it's salvation or sanctification, maybe you're fighting against God's ways today. Please let God do what He does. There's no greater joy than growing in the Lord, I'm telling you. Let God do what He does. Let God have His way with you. Yield yourself to the husbandman. He knows how to purge. He knows how to cleanse from our life that which is hindering our optimal growth for Him. I wonder if God's dealing with you this morning. Would you do business with God today? Let's pray.